Boy, I think this study in the Gospel of John is very timely based upon what we've just been discussing. I told you last week there's a lot of deep theological truths embedded in this Gospel of John, and that's why for years and years now, uh, particularly amongst Calvary Chapel folks, Gospel of John has been the number one recommendation for a new believer or a non-believer. Start your studies or your explorations in God's Word with the Gospel of John. I'm going to read verses 6 through 17. Go from one extreme to the other. Last week we covered four verses, and I came up short. And I know you don't want me to end early, right? <laughs> so I'm, let me read verses 6 through 17. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Not John the Apostle, but John the Baptist. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world made, was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God." And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for He was before me. And of His fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we lift up this time in your word. We thank you for this amazing gospel. We ask you just to continue to give us insight, understanding, Lord, to feed our spirits with your manna, your bread of life. Bless this Bible study now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You probably noticed that last week, this, you noticed this last week, but John doesn't begin his gospel with the conception and birth of Christ like the other gospels with his coming into the world, or the beginning of his public ministry. He begins with, what did we see last week? In the beginning. The creation of all things and the fact that Jesus, along with the Father and the Holy Spirit, is the creator of all things. John sets out to make it very clear that Jesus is God, to prove his deity. The Word was with God. Verse 1, the Logos. The deity of Christ, folks, is paramount to understanding him. If you don't know and believe and see him as God, then you're not going to get it. It's paramount to understanding him and to establishing for ourselves a solid foundation on which to build a true saving faith in him. There's a key set of biblical beliefs that must be embraced in order to become a child of God. Let me go over these real quick with you. First of all, you must believe in Jesus' conception by the Holy Spirit, the virgin birth. Luke 1.35, the angel answered and said to her, to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. If you don't believe in the, the virgin birth, the divine conception of Jesus Christ, then you're not a true believer, okay? Secondly, his perfect, sinless life here on earth 
which enabled him to make atonement to pay the price for our sins. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, means he never sinned, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Thirdly, the belief that the scriptures, the holy scriptures of the Old and New Testament are God's words and not men's. 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul writes to Timothy, All scripture, and in the original language it means all. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, or one translation says, God breathed. Just like God breathed life into Adam and he became the first man, God breathed his word into the writers of the Old and New Testament. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable or beneficial for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Fourthly, the belief in the oneness, not the oneness that the world is promoting, that the New Age is promoting, not that we are one with Him. Now, you can be joined to Him through faith in Jesus Christ, but God is not resident in every person and every aspect of creation. But the oneness of God, by that I mean the Trinity, one God in three persons. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And how do you explain that other than through the doctrine of the Trinity? One God and three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But you know what? Many, if not all, cult groups within the umbrella of Christianity, I would like the Jehovah's Witnesses and uh, the Mormons and different ones uh, and other cults, Immediately you can identify them because virtually none of them believe in the Trinity. Okay? You're going to say, well, the word Trinity isn't in the Bible. But, the, but the, the concept, the understanding of it is throughout the Scriptures. One God, but He manifests Himself as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One of the greatest analogies I ever heard, very simple, water, H2O. It comes in a liquid form. If you freeze it, it becomes ice. If you boil it, it becomes steam. Is it all still H2O? Yes. Okay. Fourthly, salvation is only obtained through Jesus Christ. Yeshua HaMashiach. Acts 4.12 Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Okay? This, this teaching that's prevalent today in the world, there are many pathways to heaven. You know what? If you believe that, you'll never get there. There's only one way through Jesus Christ. Fifthly, this is the last one I'm going to give you this morning. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is a fact of history. Romans 10.9 If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus... Oh, by the way, that's one of the big teachings of the New Age. The Christ is supposedly a guy named Maitreya. How many of you have ever heard of Maitreya? And his helper or his assistant is Master Jesus. Not Lord Jesus. Master Jesus. 
And if you go to the Message Bible, and I don't recommend that you go there, the Eugene Peterson, the guy that wrote the message, supposedly a translation. It's not, it's a paraphrase. What is a paraphrase? It's where somebody sits down and rewrites the Bible in their own words. That's what the message is. And in the message, Peterson has repeatedly removed the word Lord and replaced it with Master. Master Jesus. Very subtle. If you read that and you never heard me say this, you probably wouldn't even notice the difference. There's a big difference. He's not just the Master. He's the Lord. You see how easy it is to suck people in? Another common phrase in the New Age, New Spirituality, is as above, so below. Have you ever heard that one? Well, in the message, in the Lord's Prayer, Eugene Peterson changes, uh, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He changes it to as above, so below. You see? I could go on and on, but we don't have time. All right. To deny any of these immutable truths that I've just enumerated for you is to place yourself outside of those who are identified by God as true believers. And by the way, you're only a true believer if God identifies you as one. You can identify as a Christian but it only matters if God also identifies you as one of his. And if you deny any of these things, let me just really quickly go back over them. One, Jesus' conception via the Holy Spirit, the virgin birth. Two, his perfect sinless life here on earth, the atonement. He could not pay the price for our sins unless he was sinless. Three, the belief that the Holy Scriptures are God's word, not men's. Four, salvation is only obtained through Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. Fifthly, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is a fact of history. All right? You believe all those, then you're in good shape. Number six, or verse six. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This, of course, is John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus. John the Apostle, John the Beloved, wrote the gospel, but here he's referring to John the Baptist. Verse 7, this man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He came for a witness. John came, as you know, to prepare the way for Jesus, proclaiming him, Jesus Christ, to be the light, big L. Remember what we said the Greek word was, phos? It's where we get the word phosphorus. The light, luminescence, glowing, enlightening. Isaiah 43, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. This is a prophecy about John the Baptist. And in Mark 1, 2 through 4, Mark writes, as it is written in the prophets, behold, I send my messenger before you, before your face, who will prepare your way before you, Jesus, the Messiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, and then he says, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light, Jesus Christ, 
that all through him might believe. So John's mission was to stir the hearts of the people to believe in Jesus as their Messiah. And how did he prepare them for that? He was calling them to repentance, to repent of their sins, and to be baptized. John's baptism, John has a baptism, and then Jesus has a greater baptism. John's baptism was for the remission of sins, symbolically, as people would come in repentance, washing their sins away. But, but John predicted and, and prophesied that the one greater than him would come and he would baptize people with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So Jesus' baptism, yes, we still practice water baptism because even Jesus was baptized. He said he did it to fulfill all righteousness. But we look beyond that water baptism for a baptism in the Holy Spirit and a baptism in fire, the cleansing, burning away the old man of our sins and so forth, that all through him might believe. So John's mission was to prepare the hearts of the people to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior, their Messiah. Verse 8, he was not that light but was sent to bear witness of that light. And I don't know about your Bible, but in my New King James here, every time it uses this word light in referencing Jesus, it's with a big L. It's not just generic, generalized light. He is the light. John 1.20, he was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness. So, John the Baptist was not the light. He was not the Savior, but he came to bear witness of that light. John 1.20, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Because people were beginning to wonder, beginning to think that because of the dynamic, powerful ministry of John the Baptist, and he preceded Jesus by six months. So they started wondering, is this guy the Messiah? And he had to make it clear to them that he was not. So John did not go around telling people, I'm God, you're God, everybody's God. Nope. Verse 9, that was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Folks, we live in a world that is darkened by sin. There's only one path to spiritual enlightenment, not many. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. The only way out of the darkness is through the light of Jesus Christ. Verse 10. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. So he came into this world as a man by means of miraculous divine conception. He was in the world. Jesus was with the Father for all eternity, but 2,000 years ago, by divine impregnation, God planted the baby Jesus in the womb of Mary, and he came into the world. And the world was made through him. So that's pretty amazing. Think about that. He made the world, and yet he was born into the world. As God, Jesus is the creator. John 1, 3, all things were made through him, 
and without him nothing was made that was made. I would add that to my list that I gave you at the beginning of the message. Those five things, here's a sixth one right here. You must believe that Jesus is the creator, the co-creator with the God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And this is interesting, but perhaps not totally surprising. No one was expecting the God of all creation to be born into the world as a human baby. The world did not know him. The world, meaning humanity, in their darkened perception, did not recognize Jesus as the Son of God. And by the way, not much has changed in the last 2,000 years. Many, if not most, still do not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. His own, the Jews, God's chosen people. Now we know that his mission went far beyond that. It went out to the whole world. John 3.16, God so loved the world. But he came first to his own. And even the apostle Paul, who identified himself as the apostle to the Gentiles, because of his Jewish background and heritage, he still had this motto. Here's the motto that Paul had. To the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Paul would always go first to the local synagogue, and after he kicked, they kicked him out, then he would go minister to the Gentiles. That's how it worked. He came to his own. His own did not receive him. And I would say particularly and especially the spiritual leaders of Israel. Isn't that interesting? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, those who should have recognized him, they did not receive him. Just like many today are not receiving him because they're rejecting who he says he is and they're recreating him in their own image. The new age, the new spirituality, the great revival, they're creating their own Jesus the way they want him to be, not the way he is. Verse 12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. So, in spite of the first statement here by John, he came to his own, his own did not receive him, but as many as received him. So officially, as a nation, Jesus was rejected. How do we know that? They crucified him. That's how. As a nation, Jesus was rejected, but obviously, there were many individuals, the 12, the multitude of disciples who followed him. They did receive him. So John wants to make it clear, even though his own did not receive him, many did. Received from the Noah Webster 1828 Dictionary. Received. Taken. I take you, just like in a marriage ceremony, in a wedding ceremony, I take thee to be my lawfully wedded wife or husband. To, be, to receive is to take, taken, accepted, admitted, embraced. To as many as embraced Jesus, as many as took him, accepted him, entertained, welcomed him into your life, believed, Revelation 3.20, 
Behold, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, that's receiving him. If you don't want to see somebody and they're knocking at your door, you ignore them, right? You lock the door, you go in the other room, plug your ears, hoping they'll go away. To receive him is to open the door. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him. That implies intimate fellowship. And he with me. As many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. This portion of verse 12 is incredibly important. If you receive him, welcome him, invite him into your life, open the door, he will then give you the right to become a child of God. But wait, aren't we all God's children? We're all created in His image, right? Although we are created, and this is where this oneness thing, this new age oneness, God is in everybody and everything. It's called eminence, the eminence of God. It's not true. It's not biblical. Although we're all created in the image of God, what does that mean? God is a spirit, the Bible says. Those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The only part of this current condition that we are in that is eternal is our spirit. The bodies will fall apart. They will decay. They will die. They have a limited use. We have an expiration date on these physical bodies, but not on the spirit. The spirit's eternal, but will that spirit then be reunited with a glorified heavenly physical body or will it be reunited with an eternally corrupt, defiled, vile body in hell? But our spirit is eternal. That's what it means to be created in the image of God. But we're not all born into this world as children of God. In fact, Jesus, we mentioned how he was rejected by the spiritual leaders of Israel, right? You know what he called those guys? Sons of the devil, not sons of God. The right. Ted was talking this morning about the Constitution, but how people don't read it and they don't follow it. But within our Constitution and our Bill of Rights, it is spelled out what we as citizens of the United States of America are entitled to, our rights, which are being systematically taken away. The writers and framers of our founding documents indicated that these rights were imparted to us by God. Okay? And here's another right that's imparted to us by God. In other words, unless God gives you the right, you don't have it. He gave the right to become children of God. Jesus, to whom? Those who received him. The right to become a child of God is imparted by Jesus to all who receive him. So, someone can call themselves a child of God. They can identify as a child of God, but that doesn't make them a child of God any more than walking into McDonald's makes you a hamburger or walking into Saggio's makes you a pizza. 
Okay? Or walking into a gas station makes you a car. We could go on and on. Although there was a TV show in the 60s called My Mother, the Car. <laughs> Little TV trivia for you folks. And the star of that show was the brother of Dick Van Dyke, Jerry Van Dyke. There you go. Okay. Verse 12. I'm on verse 12 already, right? Okay. He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. So it's a matter of receiving and believing. Because if you're not believing the right things about him, then you're not receiving the right Jesus. One of Warren B. Smith's books, Another Jesus Calling. Yeshua. What is it? Okay, let's talk about Jesus' name. To believe in his name, what are we believing in here? The, the Hebrew is Yeshua, which means God is our salvation. So in that name, Yeshua, we're acknowledging two things. That Jesus is God and he's our Savior. Yeshua, God is our salvation. Hamashiach, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the One sent by God to save us. And he's also named in the Bible as Emmanuel, which means God with us. God incarnate. God in the flesh. That's what it means to believe in his name. So if somebody says, oh, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, he was a good teacher, a good man, a prophet, good example. But wait a minute. Is there more? Well, no, I don't think so. Wait a minute. If you believe in his name, you believe that he's God, you believe that he's the Savior, the Messiah. That's what it means to believe in his name. And that's what is required if you are to be given the right by him to become a child of God. And if everyone truly understood what that means, to become a child of God or not become a child of God, to become a child of God means that you're going to live with him forever in paradise. If you do not become a child of God, you will live forever in eternal torment and outer darkness. Sounds like a no-brainer, doesn't it? Easy choice. Why is it so hard? Because our minds are twisted and perverted by sin, and the devil is constantly waging warfare against us. And I'll point this out again, as I have many times before. If you're here this morning, and you're a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, raise your hand if you are, then you are a miracle. The only reason you are who and what you are is because God performed a miracle in your life and revealed himself to you, made himself known to you, and sadly, we all take it for granted far too much. Do you realize how amazing it is out of what they claim now is close to 8 billion people on the planet and plus probably that times 2 or 3 in the history of the human race and how few people there are that truly know and understand who God is, what He's done, who worship the true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you realize how few people there are? And you're one of them. 
Boy, wouldn't it be great if we really acted like it? Because we're different. Peter says you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Now that part we've got down. Okay? The rest we need to work on. The rest we need to work on. Okay, verse 13. Who? Who's the who? It's the ones we just talked about. The ones who received him, who believed on his name. He gave them the right to become the children of God. Who were born. Now in context, John is referring not here, not, not to physical birth, but to spiritual birth. Who were born, and here it is, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. Physical birth is the result of human procreation. It takes two to tango, as they say. Except now, it's amazing, we have learned uh, from some really amazing genius people that men can ha get pregnant <laughs> and have babies. But I think I will stick with the traditional viewpoint and that it takes a man and a woman to be a part of God's creation process. But, but John says here, this lost my spot. Where did my third page go? It's under here somewhere. Wanted to go back. Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God's will. Physical birth must come first, yes, unless you're born into this world, then you wouldn't exist and you wouldn't have opportunity to be born again. John says these folks, those who believe in him, those who receive him, he gives the right to become children of God, not those born of the flesh, but, but of God. Physical birth comes first, but it's not physical birth that makes us God's children. It is by the will of God that we become his children. Then some people would say, well, what if it's not God's will for me to be his child? What do I do then? It's kind of like predestination. And Pastor Chuck says, if you wonder whether you're chosen or not, choose him and find out. The Bible says, all those who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. If you choose him, you will become one of his chosen. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord, not the master, is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness or slowness. This reference here, Peter's talking about the last days when people are going to mock believers who say that Jesus is coming soon. And they're going to mock him and say, oh yeah, where's the promise of his coming? All things continue on now as they have forever. Where is he? And they'll be saying that right up until the moment that we're all raptured out of here. The Lord's not slack or slow concerning his promise, as some count slackness or slowness, but is long-suffering or patient toward us. What's Peter telling us? The reason Jesus hasn't come back up until now, is God is patiently awaiting for as many human beings as possible to receive his son Jesus Christ and to believe on his name. He's long-suffering toward us, but notice this next part. What did we just read here in, in the first chapter of John? That these people are born by the will of God. 
Look what it says next. That God is not willing that any should perish. I talked about perishing, but it's not unconscious. It's a conscious state of eternal torment. That's what it means to perish. But God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See? John the Baptist began his public ministry calling people to repentance. Jesus began his public ministry calling people to repentance. How many times do you hear that word in the modern church? Repent of your sins. Oh, we don't talk about that here. That's negative. We want to talk about positive things, uplifting things. You're a good person. I'm a good person. We're all good people. God lives in all of us. Hallelujah. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's perfect will is manifest right here in 2 Peter. That all should be saved. Do you know that? God's perfect will, we were created in His image. He loves us. For God so loved the world. If God's perfect will was done, no human being would go to hell. Hell was created for the devil and his angels. But there's a big glitch here, I don't know if that's a good word to use, but the glitch is that you have to choose. God's perfect will is that all should be saved, but salvation only comes to those who, listen to this, yield to the will of God. Hello? Why aren't more people saved? They don't want to yield to the will of God. They want their own will. My will be done. My kingdom come. My will be done on earth, not as it is in heaven. That's what prevents more people from coming to Christ and yielding to God's perfect will because His will is that you be saved. But you have to humble yourself before God and contrary to the New Age, New Spirituality teaching, you must say, you're God and I'm not. Hello? You're perfect and I'm not. I'm a dirty, rotten sinner and I repent. What does repent mean? It means to turn and go the other way. But I like the way I'm going. There is a way which seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Psalms and Proverbs. Okay. Gotta love this book of John. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. By the way, there are many parallels in the first chapter of John and the first chapter of 1 John. If you want to read that during the week, that's good too. The Word. We, we met the Word in the first study last week, right? The Word with a big W. The Logos. Jesus. The Logos. What is that? Jesus is God's message to humanity. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus came as the incarnate Son of God, carne, Greek word, flesh, the incarnate Son of God, God in human form, and lived amongst the people of Israel for 33 years. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And John, in uh, his first epistle, 1 John, identifies himself as an eyewitness of these things. He's writing... First hand, not second hand, not third hand, 
John was there through the whole thing. Philippians 2, 5 through 7. He became flesh and dwelt among us. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, the mind of Christ. We've been talking about that lately. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, born in a stable, born to a lowly, humble family from Nazareth, grew up as the son of a carpenter, learned the trade himself, made himself of no reputation. Can any good thing come from Nazareth? That was a saying back in those days. Taking the form of a bondservant, washing the disciples' feet, remember? Teaching us that the first will be last, the last will be first. Taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. It's funny. We take such great care with our appearance and our hair. And, you know, people get plastic surgery and they go to the gym five, six, seven times a week and all these things. Do you realize that for Jesus, becoming a man was a giant step down? we put such great effort into trying to look our best. I'm sucking it in right now as much as I can. I'm not doing too good. But for Jesus, becoming like us, oh man, that was humbling, humiliating. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men. He became flesh, carne, and dwelt among us. And conversely, though this is interesting, we beheld his glory. How'd that happen? John, along with Peter and James, beheld the glory of Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17, 1 through 3, after six days. Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, His face shone like the sun. If you go to Revelation 1, this is what he looks like post-resurrection in his glorified body. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared with them, talking with him. John was there. That's what he's talking about. We beheld his glory. Isaiah 42, 8. You know what? The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. John again, affirming, confirming the deity of Christ. God shares his glory with no one but his Son. Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. Again, an easy way to identify false teachers, false prophets. Are they reveling in their own glory. That was one of the hallmarks of Pastor Chuck Smith. He was extremely humble. He never promoted himself. Everything that God did in him and through him was purely the work of the Holy Spirit. No promotion, no hype. Pastor Chuck used to quote the verse from the Old Testament, promotion comes not from the east or from the west, but from the Lord. And that's why like many other Late 20th century, early 21st century, flash-in-the-pan, fake revivalists have disappeared or diminished. That ministry that Chuck 
established back in the mid-60s continues to impact people all over the world. That's the difference. Chuck never bought multiple mansions around Southern California or all over the country, all over the world. He never bought airplanes, fancy cars. God will not share his glory with anyone but his own son. And yet there are those who love to revel in their own glory. Full of grace and truth. God's grace gives us what we don't deserve, folks. That's what grace is. It's a two-sided coin. On one side you have grace. Not uh, getting what we don't deserve. We don't deserve to be saved. We don't deserve to be forgiven. But by God's grace we are. The other side of the coin, mercy. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. I've told you many times, don't demand that God give you what you deserve. You don't want it. You don't want to go there. Because what we deserve is eternal punishment in hell. Be sure to carry that two-sided coin around with you in your pocket. Grace and mercy. Full of grace and truth. God's grace gives us what we don't deserve. Forgiveness of sin and salvation unto eternal life. And truth is not subjective, folks. Oh my gosh, today that's all you hear. Your truth might not be the same as my truth. Excuse me, it's not your truth. It's my, my truth. It's His truth. There's only one truth. God's truth. The Bible says, Let God be true and every man a liar. Liar. China. They kind of go together, actually. John 17, 17. Jesus is praying here for His disciples. John 17, 17. John prays to the Father, Sanctify them, my disciples. Sanctify them by your truth. Sanctify means to set apart. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word, Logos, is truth. Jesus is the word. He is the Logos. He is the truth. There are not many truths in the world. There's one truth. John 15, 15, John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. He was before me. So Jesus' ministry began six months after John's. He who comes after me. He's preparing the way for Jesus. Is preferred before me. John the Baptist proclaims that Jesus is greater and preeminent over himself, over John the Baptist. He's preferred before me. He's greater than me. And he went on to say, whose sandals I am not worthy to unlatch. But then this is really cool. For he was before me. So here John the Baptist references the pre-existence of Christ, his deity, if you will. John 8, 57 and 58, the Jews said to him, to Jesus, wait a minute, you're not yet 50 years old and you have see, you've seen Abraham? Because Jesus is talking to them about Abraham. You've seen him? You're not even 50 yet. We're going back a thousand years here, or more. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. What did God say to Abraham in the burning bush? I am. Tell them I am sent you. 
So Jesus confirming and affirming his own deity here. He was before me, says John the Baptist. How is that possible? Because he's God. He's eternal. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Revelation 22, 13. Jesus says, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. You see all the deep theology? Right here in the first chapter of John. So important. Verse 16, And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. What does he mean, the fullness? The fullness of who he is. Colossians 2.9, For in him, Jesus Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All the fullness. Jesus is fully God and fully man. All that mankind wants and needs is found in him, our creator. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, the devil. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. You might possess biological life. You're born of the blood. You're born of the water. You're born into this world. But you don't have fullness of life until you have Jesus living in you. Until you're born again by the Spirit of God. And John says, we have all received, but who's we? No, 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 this isn't universalism. This is not the eminence of God or the oneness of the new age. We have all received. We is all who have received Jesus. We are the ones who believe in him, who know him. We have all received this. He's talking about corporately about all believers everywhere. Not the whole world. Those who have received. Grace for grace. So we... True believers, through Jesus, have received unlimited grace, unlimited. What did Jesus teach Peter? If someone offends you? Peter says, Lord, kind of implies, I'm pretty spiritual, Lord. So what if somebody offends me and I forgive them seven times? That's pretty cool, right? <laughs> Jesus says, no, I tell you, 70 times seven, which is a Hebrew anachronism or um, metaphor for unlimited forgiveness and that's the message from God to us what if it wasn't unlimited what if God's grace his forgiveness had limits what if you got up to 399 and God says you got one more and then you're done no it's unlimited grace to grace grace for grace through Jesus, we've received unlimited forgiveness, unlimited grace, God's favor. By His grace, we have received grace. Remember the angelic proclamation at the birth of Christ, Luke 2.14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom His favor rests. Quoting from the NIV. On earth peace to those on whom His favor rests. This is the same group that John's talking about. We. We have all received grace for grace. God's favor rests on those. See, when we hear this at Christmas time and they sing carols and do readings and all, people go, oh, oh, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. But wait a minute. Just like not everyone is, no one is born into this world as a child of God, and only those who become children of God are the ones he gives the right to when you receive him and believe on his name. God's favor rests on those who put their trust in His Son for the salvation of their souls. Read it again. On earth, peace to those on whom 
his favor rests. God's favor doesn't rest on everyone. He does love the whole world. He gave his only begotten son. But if you want to be someone on whom his favor rests, then you need to receive him and believe in his name. Final verse. Whew. Verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law, the old covenant, the one that didn't work, not because of God, but because of man's sinfulness. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The new covenant... The one that does work because Jesus paid the price for our sins with his shed blood on the cross. Let's stand. I'm going to lower the lights a little bit. We're going to have some prayer, and then Roy's going to lead us in a closing song. Don't forget these two booklets up here. Oh, Gabe already grabbed He grabbed You can only have one. Oh, you're not taking either one? Oh, thank you. He's, he's like me, obsessive-compulsive. That's to straighten things. All right, before we pray, prayer request. Raise your hand if you have a prayer request this morning. Okay, Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name. We thank you for this amazing gospel of John. The incredible truths embedded there, and we ask you to embed these truths into our hearts and minds. Lord, that we might stand firm in these last days and not be seduced drawn in, deceived by those things which are coming into the world and into the church. Father, I lift up each one that's raised their hand this morning. Lord, you know each heart. You know what's going on in their hearts and minds. We pray, first of all, for your peace that passes all understanding, which you promised you would give us if we would bring everything to you in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And we do thank you for all the blessings, Lord, for just a moment here before we bring the prayer request, we thank you, first and foremost, for, for making yourself known to us. Father, as we talked this morning about that miracle of revelation, that of all the people in the world, you have made yourself known to us, revealed yourself to us, and given us the ability, given us the faith to believe in you, to trust you for salvation through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you. And all the other blessings, Father, no matter how big or how small, all good things come down from you, Lord, our Heavenly Father. We thank you. And now we do lift up the requests. Lord, the first request would be for health, for, sick, for sickness, for, for injuries, for diseases. Lord, you are the Lord of everything, including our physical bodies. We ask for healing in Jesus' name, that you'd pour out your healing upon those struggling with whatever it might be, Lord, whether it's a broken bone, a fracture, uh, a torn ligament, muscle, tendon, vertebrae, Lord, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. There's a lot of parts that go into making up our physical bodies. We ask you to bring healing to those bodies so that we might be able to serve you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Ask for encouragement, Father, for those who feel like their condition or their situation is hopeless, that you would impart hope, faith, trust, strength. And Lord, we know ultimately all things are subject to your will, but we pray, Lord, if it would be your will that you'd bring that healing that we need 
whether it be from diabetes or cancer or heart disease. Lord, I lift up my cousin in Arizona that just had a massive heart attack. Ask you to be with him in his surgery, help him to pull through and to, to regain his health and strength. Lord, anyone else in this room today or watching online that's struggling with something similar. Lord, we thank you that you are omnipotent. You are all powerful. Therefore, you have power and authority over all sickness, disease, injury. We lift them all up to you now in Jesus' name. We also pray for mental and emotional problems. Lord, many people today are struggling with anxiety, fear, depression. We ask you to pour out your spirit upon them and deliver them. Lord, give them that mind of Christ that we've been talking about lately. Your word tells us as believers, we do have the mind of Christ. Help us to believe that, to receive that, to embrace that, and allow you to inhabit and control our thoughts, our mind, will, emotions. Help us to yield it all over to you. We pray for mental and emotional wellness and health in Jesus' name. We pray, Lord, for relationships. We know the enemy comes to steal, to kill, to destroy, to tear us apart, to divide us. And Lord, we ask you to unite us, bring us together in that common bond of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray for healing in marriages, friendships, relationships in the workplace, in the neighborhood, in the community. Father, bring us together. Help us to be peacemakers. Lord, you told us that blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall inherit the earth. And we're looking forward to that, being here to rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. But help us to start working on it right here and now, to be peacemakers. As much as is possible on our part, help us to make peace with those that we may be at odds with. We ask for healing of marriages that are struggling or broken. Friendships, Lord, we lift it all up to you. And we pray finally for uh, financial issues, Lord, for lost jobs. We pray for provision of a new and better job. Lord, for those jobs that are inadequately supporting ones here today or ones watching online pray for promotions for raises or better opportunities lord we pray where all things seem hopeless and we feel helpless that you'd come in like a flood and make provision because you lord are our provider help us to keep our eyes on you the author and the finisher of our faith we pray these things in jesus name amen